Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And as Christians, we learn to train ourselves over the course of times. Whenever we have a large decision to make, whenever we have something that we need to do, we train ourselves to pray first. Not pray only. You do things after praying, but we pray first. But if you look at the world around us, you might say, well, why, why do we have to discipline ourselves to pray first? Why do we have to discipline ourselves to rely on the strength of God and not my own strength, right? Because, because in the world, you know plenty of people who aren't Christians, plenty of people who don't pray, and they seem pretty successful in life. They might get a better lawyer than you or I. They might know somebody in HR. They might know someone in the hiring firm. They seem to have an in with all of the right people. And if you work hard, you could be pretty successful. I think one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we need to rely on God's strength first, why we need to pray, why we need to ask God for help first, is because we do not live in a merely natural world. There is an unseen world. There is a supernatural world, and there is a supernatural world that has supernatural evil that is trying to destroy us. A number of years ago, I was invited by a Christian organization to go review a, uh, a cheesy horror movie in a theater, and I was like, okay. And it was one of these cheap, super low-budget found footage things, and I was like, all right, whatever. I, you know, I enjoy being a keyboard warrior and, and talking about that sort of stuff. And I'm watching this, and it, the production quality was so low, so terribly low. And yet I'm sitting in the theater watching the audience members, realizing how absolutely terrified everyone was. Because in the film, the couple finds out what is oppressing them is a demonic force. And as they try... Strategy after strategy is nothing's working, and I can feel the tension in the audience rising because something within them deep down knows that when we face the unseen supernatural evils of this world, you and I, under our own power and our own strength, have nothing. We are powerless. We have no weapons. We have no strategies. We are completely and utterly powerless against Satan, against the devil. We are. And he wants to utterly destroy us. He is more fearful than the wars that we see going on in the world right now. He is more insidious than even the gun violence that we have in America. And I think that's why Paul tells us in the concluding section of Ephesians that we must Rely on the strength of God. See what he says here in chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul, right up here, he says, you are not strong enough 
to fight against the enemy of your soul. You are not strong enough. You don't have it within you. You can't dig deep enough. There's nothing there to fight against the supernatural forces of Satan. And so he says, put on the full armor of God. Rely on God's strength, not your own strength. Ask God for help. Ask Jesus for his strength because apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we're just in trouble. It's fearful. It's horrifying. It's terrible. He says, the schemes of the devil. In fact, Ronnie and I were chatting right before. He says, oh, what's the text on today? And when I told him what it was, and told him how my wife said, don't wear that red shirt with that black. You look like the devil. And, <laughs> and so I put on jeans instead of the black pants I was planning to wear so that it looked a little, lessened the look a little bit. But Ronnie, had, you know, he had an exactly perfect observation. He said that, that far too often his, his schemes are subtle. You get done praying and then boom, you sin, you're selfish. His schemes are often subtle. Sometimes they're large. Sometimes they're very small. Satan doesn't want to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. Satan doesn't want to murder you. He wants to see your soul damned to hell for all of eternity. And if you're a follower of Christ, he knows he can't get your soul, but you know what? He wants to make you the most weak and, 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 and sad and sinful Christian as possible. He wants to take everyone's eyes off of Jesus and put onto anything else other than Christ. He wants to encourage us. He wants to lie to us to, to make us think that, that sin will improve our lives. I mean, for crying out loud, that's why we all sin. We go, ah, if I just do this, it will improve my life. And then it doesn't. And as the, the, the writer of Proverbs says, like a dog back to his vomit, so too is a man back to his sin. And we're like, that didn't work. Let me try it again over and over and over again. He wants to destroy us. He tries to take our identity and mold it and shape it into something God never intended. If you're sitting in this room right now, your identity is rooted in the image of God. You are made by God. He's given you his image. That means you matter. That means you have worth. That means you have value. If you are a Christian, you have been adopted. You belong to God's family. You are declared righteous. But Satan will come and he'll try to convince you, no. You're not made God's image. You're worthless. You're pathetic. You might as well do whatever you want to do because tomorrow we all die. He's going to try and convince you. Define yourself by your desires. He's going to try and convince you to take whatever you can from other people because they'll do it to you first. He is trying to destroy us and the lives around us. He hates Jesus. In fact, he hates Jesus so much, he tried to ruin Christmas. He did. In Revelation 12, uh, we get this highly stylized Christmas story. John wrote, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony, and she was about to give birth. This is the Messiah about to be born into the world. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. That's King Jesus. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. 
So Satan tried to come and destroy Jesus. And we know this from the birth narrative, right? King Herod, so now we know a little bit of the rest of the story, was inspired by the devil to destroy the Messiah, the one who would take the sins away from the entire earth, the one who's coming to make all things new. And Paul says, this one who hates Jesus, who hates you, who hates all of humanity, we have to rely on the strength of God so that we can stand up under the work of Satan, so we can resist the supernatural forces of evil in the world around us. We have to rely on his strength and not our own. Good example of this. I saw this meme, and I couldn't find it again, and thank goodness for the internet. They helped me. I feel like this is what most of us are trying to do when we're trying to do life on our own, right? You're trying to move the sofa, and you're like, I can't find help, so let let me just use this computer chair. Now, has anyone ever tried something like this before? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. It's catastrophic. It doesn't work. You are going to hurt yourself. You really are. And then you come to stairs, and you're like, ah. And then you're like, all right, if I get a running start here, you know. It's not going to work. Something's getting damaged, and hopefully not you, but probably the couch, probably the sofa. This is the image Paul's given us here. You need help. You need help. And I know so many of us are like armchair quarterbacks when it comes to the news. Oh, I know how to solve that war that's happening over in in the Holy Land, right? So many people, they're like, oh, I know the solution. Well, then I don't, obviously you've come up with a solution that no one's been able to come up with for the past 70 years. Good for you right? Come on. All it is is, uh, if they just put me in charge of everything, we'd get there. No, we wouldn't. Or or gun violence, right? Everyone has a solution for gun violence and all, you know, all the horrible things going on with gun violence, especially when it affects young people. Oh my goodness. And everyone's got a solution. Yeah, but it still happens because Satan is stronger than us He's smarter than us. He is more powerful than us. He is more insidious than us. And yet we somehow think, well, I can carry the sofa by myself. I can fight Satan all on my own. And Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says, rely on the strength of Jesus so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. All the supernatural forces in the world are stronger and smarter than us. We need to rely on Jesus and not try and fight against the evil of our own hearts the evil from the external world around us, on our own strength. We are not smart enough. Paul, he has an image of what it looks like to rely on the strength of God. This is probably the most famous section in this this particular book. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. This is his metaphor. How do you rely on God's strength? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what does this mean, the armor of God? Put on the armor of God. Uh, With Crosstalk, I evaluate sermons uh, for for fellow pastors regularly, and a lot of people go to 
this, this text. And, uh, and they'll preach the message. This is the first time I've actually preached this text, so it's kind of fun for me. Um, I'm sure I'll have to send this to students, and they can now critique me in return. But uh, what does it mean? Because usually the, the, their big idea comes up with, we have to put on the full armor of God. Well, what does it mean to put on the full ar- armor of God? What, what does that actually mean? Uh, years ago, I cleared this story with my wife previously. Years ago, before, long before Kristen, uh, my first serious girlfriend, her mom, she must have heard a sermon or something that said that you have to put on the full armor of God every day. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, according to at least my girlfriend's mom, she, you, you had actually put the armor of God on. And so at one point, she is like, you, Nathan, are spiritually naked, and I don't want you seeing my daughter naked anymore. And I'm like, whoa, I, we have been above board this whole time. What's going on, right? What's happening? She's like, you're spiritually naked. I'm like, oh. She's like, you have to go through the motions and put on the armor every day. So I wrote out <laughs> this text in, in my room, and every morning before I'd go see my girlfriend, I'm like, put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and my feet fitted with the gospel of peace, and I got my, my shield of faith, and I got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, boom, boom, hoo-ah, ready to go, right? I do that every day, every day, every day. Because she said, I don't want you seeing my, my daughter spiritually naked. I'm like, all right. One day, <clears throat> you know you forget to brush your teeth once in a while, right? <laughs> One day, I was in a rush. I was going to actually tutor uh, my girlfriend's brother. So I, in math, which was a poor choice on everyone's <laughs> account, but I'm going over, and I go to the door, and it was a day like today. It was dark outside. It was cold. It was windy. And my girl, I ring the doorbell. Girlfriend's mom comes, and she looks at me. She's like, did you get dressed today? No. What are you going to do about it? So I'm out. There's neighbors watching. And I'm just like, (sighs) and then she let me into the house. I think think we get lost in the metaphor that Paul is giving here. It's not a matter of, oh, you got to go through these motions and then you're you're spiritually there. And I I just realized uh, while I was talking to my wife about this that I never spiritually got undressed either. So I was technically dressed the whole time and it should have been good. It should have been good enough. It doesn't wear off, right? (laughs) No, no. Paul's using a metaphor. He's saying you have to rely on God's strength. How do you rely on God's strength? Well, he gives us a number of things. One, he says the belt of truth. Truth. You have to rely on truth. Church, I think this is where the church is going really far afield, where we are really hurting. So many brothers and sisters in Christ, we grab onto these these conspiracy theories and we hold them up to the same level of the gospel of truth. And we're saying, this conspiracy theory that I don't really have any hard evidence for other than the things I found online is the same level as Jesus rising from the dead and offering salvation to all. That's horrible terrible. We hold on to our, um, the political narrative of whatever political party or, or, or feelings we have, right? We hold on to those. We have to stay on the, our, our team's side, even if they're wrong. No, no, no. We are people of truth. We are people of truth. And if we don't know, if we don't have certainty, guess what? You don't have to say anything. <laughs> we don't have to talk. Because the gospel is more important than my own feelings. The gospel is more important than anything else. We are people of truth. That is how we fight against the works of the devil. And we don't fight 
untruth by calling something that's not true, true. We speak with certainty, and when we don't speak with certainty, we say, hey, you know what, I think this might be the case, but I'm not sure. Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. This is the righteousness of Christ, but it's also in how we live. When When God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus upon us. He has declared us legally righteous. But he also wants to to walk in that reality and to choose to live rightly. Because when we don't, when we choose to follow in our sins, guess what? Satan has a foothold. He says uh, to use the shield of faith, trust. Faith is trust. Trust in God. Trust in God even when everyone else is not. I skipped over the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, not the gospel of war, not the gospel of conflict, not the gospel of tearing others down, but the gospel of peace that brings peace between people and God and brings peace between people and people. Yes, there are divisions when we have disagreement. However, we do so peacefully and winsomely, not trying to destroy our opponents, but show them love and grace. The helmet of salvation, we are supposed to Stand upon our salvation. When Satan accuses us of wrongdoing, we stand on salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We know the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We trust in the Word of God. We believe that what this says is true. And not what the world is telling us. That's why we have to come to church on a regular basis. It's like, it's like recalibrating our minds to say, okay, all right, this is truth. We need that on a regular basis. And all of this is praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplication, not just for me, but for others. It's all energized by prayer. We must rely on the strength of God, the strength of Jesus, so that we can defend against all the schemes of the evil supernatural forces out there. Okay, when I applied to be your pastor and we had all these conversations, I was very upfront with all of you. You remember that? All right, I did not try and present myself as anything I was not. I was very upfront with you. Very. I have to say that for the next part that comes. Okay? <clears throat> On my desk for the last, uh, wherever I've been for the last, I don't know, four or five years, I've had um, an action figure of Bane from the comic books up. Uh, you might recognize him from the, uh, the film, the Tom, Tom Hardy right there, and, uh, and then the comic book one, the more comic accurate one, which is my preference. But why do I have Bane up there? Well, okay. Again, I told you guys I was a big comic nerd. I told you. I told you. <laughs> but Bane, he's the person in the 90s who broke Batman. He broke him. He shattered him in two and uh, left him defeated and unable to do anything and to defend Gotham. Well, how did he defeat Batman, right? How did he get to the point where he was able to break the Batman? Well, what happened is Bane's strategy was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It was brilliant. He systematically released all of Batman's greatest foes, and Batman would fight them. And he not only did that, but he isolated Batman from all of his allies. So Batman had to fight alone, and so he was totally exhausted until it was just him, and he was at his weakest point, And Bane was able to defeat him. That's the same thing Satan does against us. He tries to divide us from our church. He tries to take us away from the word of God. He tries to take us away from from following after Jesus. And exhausts us, exhausts us, exhausts us until we are at our weakest point. And then he 
breaks us. Now see, the, the, the tragedy here with Batman, he, he got so isolated, he forgot all of his allies. He had Robin. He had Red Robin. He had Nightwing. He had Batgirl. He had Batdog or Bathound. He had another Batgirl. He had Batwing. He had Alfred. 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 And Alfred. <laughs> That's the best one right there. He had all of those people to ask. He didn't ask them. He isolated. I can handle it. 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 He couldn't. You think you can stand up against the supernatural forces of evil in this world? You and I cannot. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. I'm not strong enough. And you know what Batman forgot in the whole story? There's this huge superhuman. He's stronger than me, and he's going to beat me and break me in half. You know who he could have asked? You know who Batman's also friends with? Who's Batman also friends with? Yeah, come on. He'd take care of that real quick. We have to ask God for help in overcoming the supernatural forces of darkness. We do. We have to rely on the strength of Jesus, not our own strength. You know, last year we were uh, going to this Nerf war. I was taking the kids, not the baby. <laughs> we were taking the kids to the Nerf war. And my daughter, I didn't clear this with you, sorry. She's wearing her winter jacket and everything. She had all this stuff on. And I'm like, aren't you going to be hot? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to be hot, but I'm not going to get hurt. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? And have you guys seen these new Nerf guns? Right? Like when I was, like we had the slingshot, which was like this ball and like a little hammer. And you go, bink. And the thing would be like, bonk. Right? And you'd have to pretty much be point blank to hit anyone with that, that thing. These things nowadays, they're like, bing. And you're like, oh my goodness, you left a welt on my body. Ah. So now I want to put my winter jacket on too. That's the image Paul has. He says, wrap yourself in Christ. Wrap yourself in his strength. Wrap yourself in his glory. You have to. Because otherwise you are defenseless. You're defenseless. So we must constantly rely on the strength of Jesus so we can resist supernatural forces. Now, some of you are probably here saying, you know what, I don't really believe in the supernatural. Uh, I don't believe in this unseen world that Paul is talking about. Two things with that. One, yes, you do. You do. What are your thoughts? Right? Your mind is not, what is a mind? What is a mind? What are your thoughts? Where do those come from? It's not your brain. Your brain is at best the hardware and your mind is like the software, but where is it coming from? Where do thoughts go and where do they come from? You do believe in an unseen world. It's not another step to say that there are other minds out there, both good and evil, that are in a world that we cannot see. The other thing is, um, you ever see those videos on YouTube with uh, a, like a cat and the owner will come up behind the cat who's like eating or whatever, enjoying life, and they take a zucchini and they're like, come, and they put the zucchini behind the cat and the cat's just like, doop a doop a doop and then sees the zucchini and, like, and like jumps up and like freaks out. You ever see those things before? Go look it up. Don't do it to your own cat. I did it once to my cat. I felt really bad. I'm like, this was cruel. Why do they act that way? Are they like, vegetables, no! Are they all like five-year-olds? No. I did it to Duncan. Well, because I like Daisy more. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. I won't do it again, I promise. 
So, so, <laughs> family matters in real time. <laughs> so, why do they respond to that? They're not freaking out because it's a zucchini. What are they freaking out? What do they think it is? They think it's a snake. And there is something within their primal brain that they don't think critically about it. Oh, that's just a zucchini. They see it for a split second, and they freak out, and they go because they're, they're, they're on the defensive. The movie, The Exorcist, which is not, you know, theologically sound, but the movie, The Exorcist, it's 50 years old. Can you believe that? 50 years old. How did we all get so old? 50 years old. And people freaked out when they saw that film. I was listening to a theologian talking about this recently. He's like, there is a reason people had a really hard time and continue to have a really hard time. I took friends when we were in college to this movie called uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was only PG-13, so I thought everyone could handle it. That was like 25 years ago. I still have them. Every so often, they're like, I still hate you for taking me to that movie. I hate you. Right? Like, why? I'm still freaking out about it. I was like, it was only PG-13. But here's what's happening. When there is something portrayed as supernatural evil, which we are all overpowered by, there is something in our primitive, primal brain that like those cats seeing a snake is like, no, I'm, ah, I can't, I can't, ah, I got to get out of here. And in fact, that film that I reviewed, I told you in the beginning, after I got back, I, came, I was talking with some people at church, and ev- like so many people started coming up and saying, I had an experience, I had a thing, I can't explain it. There's something within us we know there is an unseen world. There's something within us we know that we have an unseen enemy, Satan, the devil, who wants to destroy our souls. The other objection you might have is you might say, well, what about human enemies? Because we do have human enemies. We make those. But really, at the end of the day, our ultimate enemy is Satan. But even those human enemies, the, the landlord who's, who's not doing you right, the, the, um, uh, the boss who is being difficult, right? Those people, yes, they are, they are your enemies for that reality. However, the great enemy of our soul, he would have us respond poorly to them. How do you respond to the human enemies when you see them? Do you fight fire with fire? If you do, you have lowered yourself to the level of your enemy. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Or instead, you do what the Bible tells us to do and overcome, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's hard to do. That's impossible to do. That's why we have to put on Christ. That's why we have to rely on his strength. That's why we have to trust him, even when it doesn't make sense to love our enemies. That's why we have to live the way he told us to live, even when it doesn't make any sense. We have to rely on the strength of Jesus to overcome the supernatural forces of this world. Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. So a number of years ago, when Krista and I were living in the great north of northern Michigan, uh, one of the places we lived had this long private road that was not plowed. And we came home from church one day, and it had snowed multiple inches while we were at church, because that happened up there. And we're coming home, and we have this little Scion XA. You ever see a Scion XA before? You ever see a clown car before? 
So we're driving this thing in a few inches, and I'm like, I think I can make it, right? So you rev it up, and we're like, and then we got stuck. And it was like, ah, and we can't get the clown car out. So I had to, I, we, we got out, I took the baby, we brought the baby inside, and I was like, well, I'll get us out of here with this shovel. I was out there shoveling for hours. My wife's calling me on the cell phone. She's like, why don't you ask the neighbor? Why don't you go talk to the neighbor, see if they can help you? And I'm like, no, no, I'm almost there. Hours, hours of shoveling. I didn't get anywhere near. Finally, after hours, my back is hurting, everything, like, you know, it's dark now. I've been praying the whole time. Nothing's happened, right? I was just like, oh, fine. Swallow my pride. Go talk to the neighbor. I, talk, I go talk to the neighbor. He comes out. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Fires up his tractor. He's got this big snow removal thing on the front. I'm not kidding you. Five minutes, the whole thing's cleared. We can't fight evil in our own strength. We need the power of Jesus. We need the name of Jesus, his righteousness, his goodness, his truth, his love, his mercy, his grace. You must rely on the strength of God to overcome the powers of this dark world. Ask God for help moving the sofa. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that we can come and we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you that we know that King Jesus has come and he has undone the work of the evil one. Thank you that in Christ there is power. Thank you that at the name of Jesus all darkness must flee. Thank you that this time of Christmas where we are lighting candles, where we're stringing up Christmas lights that are most beautiful in the darkest hours of the night, we are reminded that King Jesus has come. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot defeat it. May we trust and rely on Jesus in all things, in all ways, and in all times. Father God, empower us with the Holy Spirit. When we face darkness, whether it's the big issues in life or the small subtleties to sin and to act selfishly, help us to be reminded to follow Jesus. It's in his name, by his blood, and for his glory that we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul concluded this text. Verse 21, so that you may know how I am doing what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may be encouraged. He may encourage your hearts. It's interesting, Paul writes this right after talking about fighting, striving against the work of the devil. Because he's saying, we need to encourage each other. Satan is a great discourager, isn't he? Jesus Christ is the great encourager. He declares you righteous. He declares you holy and wanted and loved and valuable and meaningful and purposeful. He brings us together. So with that, let me bless you as we go. May there be peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 
Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I ask this blessing upon this congregation in the name that is above every name, the name at the speaking of which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.